Well, good evening, beloved. Trust that you are doing well even in these strange days. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, uh, we'll be uh, considering the first eight verses of Romans chapter 3 this evening. Uh, we're going to entitle this sermon, Spiritual Advantages. Spiritual Advantages is what we'll be considering. So Romans chapter 3, uh, hopefully uh, you have had enough time to get there. We'll go ahead and read uh, the first eight verses of the, this book or this chapter together. So Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. This is God's word to his people. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and you may overcome when you are judged." But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just." This is God's word to us. I may bind it to our heart as we read it and think through it this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we trust you in the moments to come as you help us to understand your word. We understand probably better than we ever have that your word is the only thing that can change our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray tonight, even though we are separated from one another, that we cannot worship collectively and we long for the day that we can do that again. And we hope that it is just a few uh, days or weeks away that you would help us to remain focused tonight on your word. That we would understand what a blessing and a privilege it is to be able to worship you even when we're not all physically together. So be with us now as we venture into your word. Uh, pray that you would help me to recall what I've studied and I preach with power and precision with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We live in a world that we could say is obsessed with advantages. Uh, there are some who want to try to use advantages in every possible way. Uh, they're always looking to be able to get ahead, cut a corner, uh, to get a connection, to, to move them along. We think of the people who climb the corporate ladder, so to speak, and really that isn't just limited to corporate settings. It's actually uh, widespread throughout our society that people use ladders and try to use advantages to get ahead as much as possible. On the other hand, we have people who think that any type of advantage is wrong, uh, that we need to level the playing field at every possible turn, and, and that for someone to have an advantage over another person is inherently wrong, and some would suggest evil. What does the Bible say about this idea of having a spiritual advantage? If we remember and think about Romans chapter 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul has made it clear already that realistically all of humanity stands condemned. 
And as this condemnation is in front of humanity, there is no advantage that comes to any particular person. But is it possible that there is at some level a spiritual advantage that comes to the Jewish people? And we could say by uh, transference or shifting to us even who have grown up in church to those who have been exposed spiritually, exposed to God's word on a regular basis, growing up in it, growing up with it. And the Apostle Paul is actually going to answer that question for us this evening. He's going to give us two different ways to think this evening. He's going to first start by uh, dealing with the idea of a religious advantage, and then he's going to speak to the objections that come in. So tonight we need to consider both of these if we're going to understand it all, if there's any benefit really to spiritual advantage. So let's start first and foremost with this idea. Are there actual spiritual advantages? Are there any advantages that come from being exposed to God's word regularly? Let's look back at verse number one. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. After finishing chapter 2 last week, we, we might be tempted to answer Paul's initial questions. Read it again. What advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? If we were to answer that question right now, most of us would probably say there is none. There's no advantage that comes from being Jewish or being circumcised. However, the Apostle Paul surprises us and actually has a different answer. He answers the question much in every way. In other words, a resounding yes. There is an actual spiritual advantage that comes from being Jewish. There is a spiritual advantage that comes to the Jewish people, and they have an advantage that others do not have. How can this be? How can they have an advantage? Is it wrong for them to have an advantage? What are we to make of this statement? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul doesn't linger or or wait or uh, stave off answering. He immediately answers, much in every way, chiefly to them were committed the oracles of God. What are the oracles of God? Specifically, we would say they're God's word. God has given them his word. And they have the benefit of growing up under the word of God, specifically. We, we think of people who've grown up under God's word. They, they do have a benefit. They, they do get something from being able to sit under God's word for an extended period of time. And just think of three benefits quickly this evening that come from sitting regularly under God's word. Even if you don't know or have not yet trusted Christ... These are the benefits. Number one, they know what God is like. You, when you sit regularly under the teaching and instruction of God's word, you begin to get a clear picture of what God is like. You, you see him rightly. If God's word is preached clearly, we begin to understand what God is like. 
second advantage that comes from regularly sitting under God's word. We begin to know what we are like. Think about what we've already discovered in chapters 1 and 2 about what humanity is like merely by sitting under God's word. We begin to discover that we are actually sinful people. We begin to discover that we're actually guilty and stand condemned. That's what happens when we sit under God's word regularly. What the benefit that would come spiritually is this exposure at a high rate to who God is and what he is like. And then number three, the third spiritual advantage. We know what God requires for salvation. Understand that sitting under God's word would declare to the Jewish people and those of us who have grown up under God's word, we know what is required for salvation. There is no hiddenness to us. We've been exposed. We, we've seen it. We, we could say we've been inoculated to it at some level. Those who regularly sit under God's word yet don't respond to it, they've been inoculated at some level to the truth of the gospel message. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. There is no way possible that there doesn't come some sort of advantage from sitting under God's word regularly and consistently. These are rich blessings. To be able to know what God is like, to have a right understanding of who we are, and then to ultimately understand what God requires for salvation, that is a blessing. And if you have grown up in a situation where you find yourself regularly to have sat under God's word and regularly to have been taught God's word, then you should count it a blessing that you have grown up with this spiritual advantage. I, I grew up in a home like this. I often joke that I have been going to church for 30 years and nine months. There was never a time where we were not in the house of God growing up. Even when there were the snowstorms of Iowa, I grew up in a church that the pastor believed that Really, you should, if at all possible, continue to meet unless it's going to be really dangerous to the people who are coming. So there were very few Sundays that we were not in church. And I grew up in a house that had placed a high value on God's word. Uh, we went, we were privileged enough to be able to go to a, a Christian school where we were taught God's word every day. And then during the summers, my mom would, as part of our daily routine, there would be a morning devotion time that happened around our kitchen table. I, I remember interning and, and working for my dad um, at, as a, a young teenager and, and going to his office and remember watching him even as he would would sell insurance and do financial planning, the first thing that he did when he got to his office was to sit down at his desk and read his Bible and pray before he ever started the day. I grew up with this advantage. And it's easy for those of us who find ourselves in similar situations to take that advantage for granted. We need to be careful not to lose sight of how blessed we are or to take for granted what those advantages are in our lives. Uh, 
The Apostle Paul is not saying here that there isn't a benefit that comes from knowing and sitting under God's word. The danger is that we become utterly unimpressed with who God is and what his word reveals to us, that things become plain and complacent. They lose their flavor or intensity simply because we've become so used to them that somehow God's word no longer lives with the same passion that we once felt because we've just become used to it. Our lives have become complacent. One of the benefits right now, I believe, of living through this pandemic is the fact that we're all being reminded constantly of what a benefit it is to be able to gather together for worship. As we are recording this, this is week number two where we haven't been able to gather together to do this corporately. As we get ready for this coming Sunday in our small groups, it'll be the third time that we have met together via Zoom to do our small groups. And what is the constant and recurring theme of the People is we want to be back together. Maybe we have become complacent. Maybe we have taken for granted the fact that we have grown up under or been in a regular season of being able to experience God's blessings to us spiritually. I, I would ask you tonight, have you been inoculated to the truth of the gospel? Maybe you're watching this because it's a habit. You, you've never actually trusted in Christ. You've grown up hearing God's word. You could tell us the gospel, but you know that you have never trusted in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you've merely been inoculated to the gospel. You know enough of it to be able to repeat it. You know enough of it to be able to tell someone about it. But yet you personally have never been changed by it. I would urge you tonight to place your faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Christian tonight, are you glossing over? Are you taking advantage of the advantage? It may seem strange to ask that question, but are you glossing over the advantage that comes from having grown up in God's word? This has become some sort of a novel concept. It's just a regular occurrence for you to go to church, sing a few songs, read a few verses, and somehow you have glossed over the benefit that comes from having so much access to God's word. We live in an age of unprecedented access to God's word. And even during these days, you think of the different organizations who have made their teaching series and sermons and classes free because people find themselves trapped at home. We have even more access right this moment to God's word. And yet we take it for granted. Christian, are you guilty of taking God's word for granted? Now, the second part of this particular text deals with the objections that 
come as a result of Paul's teaching. It's not uncommon for us to see objections that that take place as a result of this. In fact, verses 3 through 8, where Paul answers these objections, are often described by commentators as being some of the most difficult verses in the entire book to be able to interpret. Yet, for the sake of argument, as Paul answers these objections, we're going to assume that these are Jewish people who are coming up with objections to what Paul is teaching, and they've never trusted in Christ. So let's move to this second portion, answering objections. Let's read verses, beginning in verse number three. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and you may overcome when you are judged. Paul then moves on to these questions that we commonly refer to as objection. And the first objection that takes place has to do with those who are unbelievers. For what if some did not believe? Referring to Jews who grew up under the oracles of God, yet don't believe. What if they have the oracles of God, but don't believe, is God somehow, in some way, lacking faithfulness? And the Apostle Paul answers with a resounding no. God is not unfaithful. Verse 4, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and you may overcome when you are judged. The unfaithfulness of the Jewish people It does not violate God keeping his side of the covenant. God is not someone who's looking for an escape clause from a contract to get out of what he had promised to his people. One of the great truths of scripture, and it's illuminated in this particular text, is that despite humanity's unfaithfulness continually to God, they're continually unfaithful. They're continually running contrary to him, God remains faithful. In spite of rampant, indeed, probably excessive unfaithfulness, open hostility and rebellion, God continues to remain faithful. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here. God is not going to stop being unfaithful simply because humanity refuses to keep their side of the covenant. The second objection that is raised here in verse number five has to do with God and his reputation. Read verse five. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? Paul has already made it clear that God will one day judge all of humanity for, and they will be judged according to God's righteousness. It stands to reason, and this is the objection, that God benefits from judging the unrighteous people according to his standard because his reputation will look better. But Jewish people who are unbelievers ask this question, is it actually fair for God to operate this way? The answer, again, is emphatic. God is not unfair. 
And we need to remind ourselves of this constantly. God is not unfair or unjust to judge us according to his standard. He gets to set the standard. Why? Because he's God and we're not. The unrighteous people are always looking for loopholes and ways around God's expectations. But God's standards and judgments are perfect. He he does not need to make himself look better. He doesn't need to make himself seem better. He doesn't need to enhance his reputation. God doesn't operate in a way in which he needs humans' glory. He's not needy of anyone else. And a lot of times we operate in a way and we think somehow, some way, God needs us. He does not need us to make him look better. He stands needing nothing. And that's why the Apostle Paul objects. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? If God cannot judge according to his perfect standard, then how is he to judge at all? We need to be reminded this evening, probably more than ever, that the only way to escape God's judgment that is coming is to put our faith and trust in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the way that we can escape the judgment to come. Not by trying to find a loophole in the way that God operates, but to press into the reality that God and God alone is worthy to be praised. And the way that he is praised, the way that he is glorified, the way that we glorify God most is by placing our faith and trust in Christ alone through faith for our salvation. And when we do that, what that allows us to do, because our heart is regenerated, our heart is changed, what that allows us to do is Glorify God by enjoying God because we go from rebels and enemies to believers and friends of God. That's a transformation that takes place. That's how to escape the judgment. The the way to escape judgment is not to change the judge's standards, but to come in line with the judge's expectations. The final objection we see in verse 7, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say. The Apostle Paul wraps up these judgments, these, uh, or excuse me, these objections here by pointing out the same objection as the second one from a different angle. This third objection is the same as the second. It is just a different angle. The logic of this objection says that if God somehow gets glory from judging unrighteous people, if God somehow uh, receives glory from from being able to, to judge people who are wicked and sinful, then if I sin more, God gets more glory, and then I should be off the hook. The, the problem with this is this is just not how God's judgment works. Paul rebukes this idea by pointing out in the last sentence of this paragraph. It is the most poignant and strong sentence in this paragraph. Their condemnation is just. Everyone stands condemned. 
may think that we have a religious advantage because we've grown up underneath of God's word. And this is what the Jews were trying to press into as one loophole. And Paul says there is a benefit to knowing and understanding and sitting under and growing up under God's word. I think one of the strongest things that ever happened in my life was growing up under God's word. The problem, though, is when we believe that somehow we become exempt or we get a pass because we have some sort of religious activity or we're looking for loopholes. The, the whole human expression, the whole expression of all of humanity would be one of looking for loopholes to get out from under God's condemnation. We need to be reminded more than ever. I think as people who have spent a lifetime under God's word, that everyone stands condemned to die for their sins. And that condemnation is just. And the reason why we need to be reminded of that is because that message reminds us of the hope and the truth of the gospel and pushes us out to share it with other people. So I I would just ask you a, a few questions. One, tonight, the person who is not trusted in Christ, are you trying to kind of stave off, push off God's judgment due to an exception clause or a loophole? You think that by your religious activity, somehow you're exempt? Beloved, your greatest need tonight is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage you. Yes, even you, person who is going through the motions, has grown up in church, has gone to church your entire life, you know all of the right Awana verses, you know all of the right songs from growing up in kids' church and kids' praise, and you know all the right things and the answers from growing up in middle school and high school, and now you find yourself in college, and you're really beginning to become conflicted because you know that while you have all of the right answers, and you know, as Paul would say, the oracles of God, that you have not trusted in Jesus Christ. Christ, I would encourage you, I would press on you the urgency of placing your faith and trust in Christ. And then Christian tonight, have you become inoculated to this message? It's lost its power to you, it seems like. Now, I want to be careful here. The gospel never loses its power, but sometimes because we're fickle people and we refuse to speak to our emotions, we allow ourselves to feel like God's message and God's word isn't really as powerful as it used to be. It's all powerful. It continually remains powerful. Sometimes we just become complacent and we allow its message to become numb. We become numb to it. We, we, we become unaffected by it because we're so familiar with it. I, I would encourage you tonight to press in once again to the truthfulness of this message, to remind yourself of the power that is contained in it. And then as we think about moving forward, I would just encourage us to remember the truth that comes through God's word and the power that's contained in it. In a world that has become here in the last few weeks increasingly dark, And with no hope seemingly anywhere, anywhere around us, we need to press into the message of the book of Romans now more than ever that we all stand condemned, but God in his grace, mercy, and love sends his son and his son willingly submits and comes to this earth and lives a perfect and sinless life, dies a death that we cannot die 
and then after three days raises again to life and is reigning and ruling at the right hand of God the Father on high. That's the message of hope that needs to go to a world that is increasingly hopeless. And Christians specifically, and I'm just going to remind you of this again. I know you're going to literally, I can already visualize you rolling your eyes hearing me say this to you again. Great revivals in our country and around the globe have happened when students who are 18 to 25 year olds took God seriously. Maybe, just maybe, if we will commit to becoming white hot for God, when we come out of this lockdown, shut down, not being able to gather, and there's a, a generation of 18 to 25 year olds who come out of this white hot for the gospel message, we'll see revival break forward in ways we've never thought possible. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we love you. I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to worship the Lord together this evening, though it's in a different way. So God, I pray that in the moments to come, we might be sensitive to respond to your word in the way that you see fit. God, help us to understand that the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. We love you. Thank you again for allowing us the, the means to be able to pull us off. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.